0: You are listening to Pharmacy IT and Me, your informatics pharmacist podcast. This is Tony Down. Welcome to another episode of Pharmacy IT and Me. And as with every episode, we start this one saying that the intended audience is everybody. Today, we'll be speaking with our special guest, Dr. Rita Jew, on what her role is in terms of pharmacy technology, informatics, and operations. So, thank you so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, Rita. How are you doing today?
1: I'm very good, thank you. It's nice to be talking to people while we're stuck at home. So, I'm I'm glad to be on your podcast. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, been quite a roller coaster. Uh, Before we get started with, you know, some of the more detailed questions, can you just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure. Yeah, I actually have been a pediatric pharmacist by training. I never thought I would get into the technology and um, automation world as um, I thought of myself. I still think of myself as a pediatric clinical pharmacist, specifically in the field of neonatology. I think uh, what brought me into technology and automation is really the need to serve uh, the the youngest and the most vulnerable patients, as you all know. Pediatric is a pretty labor-intensive field where a lot of our medications require a lot of manipulation. So as I evolved into my role as a clinician and then eventually as, as a pharmacy manager and leader in um Department of Pharmacies, I really realized that the only way to protect our patients and make the medication process safe is through technology and automation. So I have been a neonatology clinical specialist at heart and um, now just as the need of, of my job evolved, then I got into a lot of technology and automation ventures.
0: Awesome, awesome. So, you know, like for your experience in the clinical side before you got into the technology side, can you kind of go over some of that experience? Like, were you working on the, the, uh, clinical staff or were you working as a manager before you got into that?
1: Sure, right. So I started out as a, like I say, a specialist in neonatology. And a couple of years after that, and this was at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And soon after that, I became the clinical coordinator. And so I was doing, Basically managing all the medication use process from the clinical perspective, the PNT, drug use evaluations, um, investigation of drugs, and those kind of things. And through that role, actually, that was my first taste of technology because uh, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia is a pretty progressive institution when it comes to technology We actually were using CPOE back in the early 1990s, and that's the first set. I'll call it actually the more web-processing CPOE called TDS, where physicians were transmitting the orders to us through the computer. And we still need to enter it into our our pharmacy system, but that was my first version of CPOE. And as the technology evolved and children's health hospital decided to adopt a more advanced form of cpoe i was helping them design what this the system that was at that time called sunrise clinical manager so i was helping with building the clinical system to make sure we safeguard the process um in dispensing medications with the patient so that's that's where i really started i spent um 14 years at Children's hospital at philadelphia working in the clinical role, but just slowly getting into technology and a taste of that. And then as I moved back to, as I got recruited back to California as the executive director for uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County, that's when I really get into technology. I helped work on the second CPOE system, and this in this case, it was Sona, I helped them work through the clinical side of the order sentences, the order sets and all with CERNA with before we, and helped us in the process of going live. But this is also where I brought in, I started getting exposure to automation. So to, we were lucky to have a very supportive leadership team at Children's Hospital of Orange County that allowed um, the hospital and the pharmacy department to acquire the first Robotics, IV automation. Um, So we have the first Reva robot at Chalk. And um, that's when I really get into using technology to help improve medication safety.
0: Wow, that's like a lot of experience. And you know, like for your time, just working on the clinical side, one of the things that a lot of students do ask me to is that, you know, they want to get into pharmacy informatics, but they don't know how to get there. And I try to emphasize to them that they knew, they do need to have that kind of Uh, workflow knowledge, operational knowledge, and clinical knowledge before they get into using the technology. So can you kind of describe like how your experience as a clinical specialist, as a clinical coordinator, and being in the operations, how all of that was able to kind of uh, be very beneficial for you when you moved into the technology space to apply that those kind of technologies to that operation?
1: Yeah, I can't agree with you, Moll, about the the clinical experience and the operational experience. For someone, I always tell students and residents that you can be anyone can be a a net analyst or a willow analyst um just doing the programming. But what I think really benefits me and the team as we went on with the build is understanding the chronic needs of the patient, whether it is the volume that is needed for the very small, the, uh, the volume that we actually want to avoid and minimize where we're serving a very small micropremies to just the actual workflow in the pharmacy where, you know, I can offer the insight of, okay, if we build something this way, then it's not going to be safe because the pharmacist who's going to be uh, verifying in order might not see the information. So one great example to you is was we were trying to implement a CPOE at chalk We were trying to adopt What has been done in the past, which was not perfect to begin with in the paper world where they really, the physician would just say, I want dopamine five mics per kilo per minute for this 0.5 kilo neonate and the pharmacist figure out the rest. Well, there was a lot of conversation that needs to happen to to know what the concentration needs to be, and then the worst thing is when the concentration changed, nobody realized that, and that was already a problem back in the days of the paper world. Um, but it was just it was just going to get exaggerated as we try to implement the same thing in CPOE. So I was able to kind of bring that kind of lens into the, the the team to tell them okay now we can't build it this way this is we really need to include the have the physicians pick the concentration and the rate because that is what is going to be in the system and if the pharmacist need to then uh, when a concentration needs to be changed to do a lot of the manipulations um, the nurses might not notice the change in the concentration and they might hang they might hang the new concentration with the wrong rate and all. So all of those information that we as clinicians are keenly aware of might not be something that the built team is is understanding and having, and a lot of times the bill team is just doing what some of the physicians is telling them to do. So having the background in operations as well as the clinical understanding of the needs of the patients, we kind of help reach a lot of the gaps. Sometimes I would try to explain to folks why we need a separate build for a different population because of the clinical needs. So all of that is it's kind of important. And I think that's what differentiates um you as a pharmacist informaticist rather than just any analyst that is doing the build.
0: So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I also wanted to go back a little bit about your time when you implemented the Reva machine. So, um, I mean, as you know, I, I work at Chalk right now. So uh, when I started there and I saw that, there is this giant machine that actually creates IVs with robotic arms. I was really impressed. I was surprised because I'd never seen that in a in a West Coast hospital before. And I think, uh, like what you said, it's probably, it was, was it? Um, Chalk was one of the first, right, to have it?
1: We are the first, actually. We, we, had, we were number one, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So can you can you kind of go over? I guess your thought process when you uh, were kind of ushering that into the hospital, and why you decided to uh, go towards using that type of machine, where you know, you, where whereas you can still hire technicians to 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 uh, create the medications through the IV rooms.
1: Right. So um, I was actually the when the Reva machine was first showcased at ASHP. Mid year clinical meeting. um, It was coincidental that that was uh, when they were, the mid year was in Anaheim. So I was, first I heard about and saw the machine and my jaws just dropped. I was thinking to myself, this is exactly what. Pharmacists wanted, like they have a lot of the features and the safety features, especially that really is something that a pharmacist would want. I mean, a lot of times, especially after going through implementation of CPOE, I think I was a little jaded in the sense that I thought, well, you know, a lot of technologies will boast what they can do, but when you come down and actually use the machine, it might not be able to do what they say they can do or it might not be doing it in an efficient manner but it looks like the Reva machine is something that could really do what it's they say it's supposed to do now there was still a huge journey to try to get the machine to do what the the robot to do what I'd like it to do because of what I did not realize is that Reva number one at Chalk was the first Riva to see real drugs. We um um at a lot of the testing that was done at the Reva factory was really using vials of colored water. So, uh, as we all know, that the real world is very different than, you know, when you're testing something in the lab. But nonetheless, I think, I, I really think that the fact that it can prepare patient-specific doses is a huge benefit to um, our pediatric patients where there's so many individualized patient doses from the, half a kilo baby to your 100 kilo adolescents, the needs of the dosing is so wide and hence this machine will be perfect, I thought, for preparing IV doses for our patients. But what, when I first looked at the Reva machine, what I really wanted to do is for it to be used for chemotherapy, the highest risk medications in our patient population. But it was. um, This is where I kind of need to bring in my business sense. When I quickly realized that I might not be able to justify a machine that is like a million dollar at that time, without an ROI, and that was the first thing I need to create is an ROI. So I quickly changed my course and thought that well, maybe we can start using it for our IV medications. And at that time, we were doing. We were doing one-to-do batches of IV medications, routine IV medications during the day, and we had so many waste. And so my thought is really to combine the lean concept and using automation to help us with trying to be lean and make multiple batches a day to try to decrease the waste. Because at that time, we've already been talking, some children's hospital has already been experimenting with every two-hour batches. So instead of doing a 24- or 12-hour batch, folks were trying to make IVs that are due um, every two hours. So basically every two hours, people were making doses that were due in the next two hours or so, or the next four hours, depending on what the time is needed. So, But the problem with that is it was very difficult to get um, people, enough people during all of these shifts to prepare these batches every two hours. So my thought was to really use automation to help with the process. And this is really where I first realized how nicely the lean principle and automation can marry together to synergistically produce something that is even better than one or the other.
0: That that was really great that you were able to kind of think through that and, you know, that that's kind of, that's, you know, an example of the, the kind of thing that you can't really think through if you don't have the experience on the operations side. So I'm really glad that you, you mentioned that. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned some terms there, like you mentioned a lean concept and for the listeners who don't know, and I think this is really important. Uh, can you kind of describe what a lean is?
1: Sure, right. So lean is really a concept that came out of Toyota. And back in the days when Toyota was competing with the big companies in the U.S. like like um, GM, they were trying to figure out a way that is the the smartest and easiest way and the most efficient way to make uh, motor vehicles that is also the most reliable. So that whole lean concept is really combining, it's is looking at our process to look at what are the waste in the process, but also in the meantime, trying to make sure that high quality products are coming out of your production line. So the one, the other big concept in lean is to make sure that you have processes in place to ensure that defects are not passed on from one step to another. So if there's a defect in a certain production step, that that defect is corrected before it moves on to the next. So before you build an entire car and realize that oops, you know, now you have a faulty brake that you have to tear everything apart to rebuild it again, you want it to catch all of the all of the defects at the time it was done and not pass onto the assembly line. So these are the concepts that we in healthcare have over the last probably 20 years been trying to adopt to perfect our process because God knows uh we don't have a consistent process. We so many things that are done are individualized. And that's where you really can see lean and automation kind of married together because technology does not let, you know, let you do things one way one time and the other way another time, right? So when you have technology, when we sit down and build CPOE, the first thing we need to do is to standardize process, right? Because you have so many physicians writing in so many different ways, and the hardest thing is not to do the build. The hardest thing is to get them to agree on one way to do things. So that's what technology is really good at is help you standardize. But then what it can also do if you start using these lean concept and start incorporating it into it, then now you have also, you can also use technology to be your quality control measures and also trying to do things in the most efficient way. So that's kind of in a nutshell what lean is and how I see that they can really work together to help you implement some technology. And so I joke about the fact that I I actually use drug money to buy the Riva machine because literally I was I promised to save certain amount of pharmaceutical expenses from reduction in waste in order to buy a Riva machine. I think what, what actually, the one thing that I have to be very um, deliberate in my messaging as I, I was talking to, so as I'm trying to sell this to the C-suites, I have to talk ROI, the return on investment and how, why is this going to be, why is this a machine that we wanted to invest in? And trust me, especially our finance, uh, VP of finance was very nervous because this is brand new technology. And he he keeps asking me, what if this doesn't work? And now you have a million dollar of metal sitting in your pharmacy. So I have to work through that. But on the other hand, for my for our staff, the one important thing is, is the threat of automation, getting rid of the jobs, right? I've talked Ever since I've implemented the first visa, I've talked to numerous other people that ask the same questions. I mean, people in the media saying that is are these robots replacing jobs? And I think what I was very deliberate in trying to do is to make sure that people understand that you can, these robots are not going to replace the job, but what they're going to, what we can do is to use. The robot to complement what folks can do. So in this sense, what we can, the the first iteration of the use of the Reva machine was really to try to take some of the higher volume drugs in the batches to have the Reva patient specific doses. So then the, the technicians can help can be preparing the the other doses that we have not been able like we we haven't put in the Riva machine to make. So in that sense, that helped us in our lean process to increase the number of batches that we can make and reduce the waste without adding more burden to the work, first of all. And then ultimately, as the hospital grew, as I was in the hospital, it was going through a really rapid growth. And what we have been able to do is to use the Reason robot to help absorb some of the increase in growth uh, in the volume of medications that we need to prepare without increasing the number of technicians. So I never have to get rid of any technicians. The only thing I was doing is to not have to hire more technicians and be able to absorb the same kind of work. And so I think as we implement these technologies, we really need to be mindful about that. And how are you going to also retrain some people? There's people who are more interested in some of these technology, and we definitely can train them to operate the machine rather than to make IVs at this point. So retooling them to try to tend to the machine and maintain it, it doing the upkeep of the machine is also a new role that has been developed as we implement the Riva machine. So Jobs will be there, but you may have to kind of be more flexible in adapting to some of the new jobs that you'll be doing.
0: You know, I'm glad that you kind of mentioned about the uh, the way that you are making things more efficient, so they can absorb more of the uh, the growth of the institution. And I think I I feel like kit check with the RFID system for crash cards was kind of like another similar idea where you're freeing up the technician so that they don't spend so much time on the crash carts. So then they can actually spend more time on the, uh, the filling or the, the check, you know, the tech check tech or filling up the other medications and um, you know right. it's it's, a, it's another way you know it's another way to see how like technology is uh, applied to like what we do and getting things operationally efficient and lean um, like you said to like reduce defects and get everyone to spend more spend their time more uh, smartly more efficiently so I'm glad that you mentioned that
1: yeah well Tell you because I did implement KITCHECK when I when I was at UCSF um, in my last job as well. Let me just tell you, KITCHECK is more than just efficient. It it does improve efficiency, and when it works, it was so beautiful. When there's a recall, and you can literally instead of in back in the days <laughs> when I was a young pharmacist, we would when there's a drug recall, you have to go to every single crash card, open it up to see if that lot was in your, in your tray for the crash card, And the beauty of Kit Check of being able to go to the computer and put in the lot number and say, nope, there's no, none of the lots are in any of the trays. We're done with the recall. Oh, but the better thing is really the fact that you can be more thorough in doing your recall because I, I can tell you that I've experienced a few recalls where we know that we've looked at all the cards but there's still the kick check system is still telling us that there's a couple of trays that are out there sitting around and that make us go and find those trays. And so this was the first time I actually can truly say that I have removed all of my recall medications from the crash cart trays when in the past I would never be able to be so like. Certain and confident that I re- removed everything. You might, you're probably a little too young to remember. There was back, I can't even remember, probably, it's definitely more than 10 years ago, there was a huge Haprin recall and a lot of pharmacy director. In California, got um, cited by CDPH and the Board of Pharmacy because they found recall medications in nooks and crevices as they come in and do the inspection. And so, a system like KidCheck, if you use it the right way, again, you have to use the, any technology the right way, it can really help you and having that confidence that your recall medication is um, all out of your system.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm glad that you mentioned that. The other thing I wanted to also, also mention that's really cool. I think it's really cool when they announced this was, uh, for Kit Check. Like what you said, you can feel confident that you have pulled all the lots, but. You know, the configuration part in the beginning where you have to, you know, make sure that the lot is entered in the system correctly. And yeah, there's, there was that step too, right? Kitcheck actually announced a partnership with Sandos where Sandos will now have the RFID tags built in when they, when they release the, the medications for purchase. So it's just out of the box now. So it's even more confidence that when a recall happens with those products straight from the manufacturer configuration, it's, it's able to be pulled now. So.
1: So so I think you just kind of touch on something that I'm also very passionate about is really understanding the process when you're implementing technology. I mean this kind of goes back to what we were talking about being a pharmacist understanding what how people do things in a pharmacy is important as you say um as you said um, the way Kit Check will work is if you actually put in the lot number and expiration, right? So a lot of these software will allow you to customize and say, oh, do you is it a hard stop or not for you to put in certain things? Um, so that is the determination, first of all, the the configuration of your system needs to be set to the right way so that the system can be used to um at its best to to help you achieve what you need to achieve, whether it's medication safety or efficiency. So that's number one. Number two is it has come to our attention then that people might be entering lot numbers in very different ways, whether you have a dash or not, whether you have a space in between some numbers or not, or... Uh, factors that will either help you identify the lot number or not, or you might miss certain lots because people are entering it the wrong way. So it's what I always call garbage in, garbage out, right? <laughs> if you if you don't standardize how people are doing things, then your output is not going to be helpful for you. So one of the big things that I really advocate everyone do when you actually implement a new technology is to sit down and perform an FMEA, a failure mode and effects analysis. When we implemented REVA, we actually sat down with the chief um, technology officer from REVA for a week to to go through this process. So this is a process where you first identify the steps of how the process is supposed to be, and then for each of these steps, you think about what can potentially fail, like what could people be doing that makes this fail, and then we kind of rank these failure modes by the probability that that will happen, the severity of it harming the patient, and also... um the detectability of an error if an error is made. And based on those three factors, we ranked the the highest risk failure mode so we can put in place action plans to prevent bad things from happening when you implement a technology. And I can tell you that most people don't do that. And that's when they, after the fact came up with issues that they're trying to fix, kind of some of them they might have to fix urgently because because there was now there's an acute mistake or something that happens. But a lot of times, if you spend the time doing the failure mode and effects analysis ahead of time, then some of these what we call unintended consequence of implementing technology could actually be avoided, and you can actually have a much more successful outcome in your implementation. I think I can't. I can't emphasize too much about trying to do an FMEA. I, I get folks at UCSF actually to agree to do that when we're implementing Beacon, the oncology application for EPIC. And I can tell you that folks were moaning and groaning about having to do that when I make them sit through these sessions. But at the end, when we implement the Beacon process, everyone was appreciative about the fact that they actually have thought through the process and have safeguarded a lot of the things that people might actually create workarounds and such like that. So it is really important to understand your technology first and put in all the safeguards before you implement that so that you can actually make yourself applications like Kit Track to its fullest potential.
0: You know, thank you for sharing that. And I also, so you're, you were talking about like a lot of like the high level things that needed to be done. And I wanted to, I guess, reemphasize to the listeners that your role is actually from all these experiences, your role technically is not labeled as an informatics pharmacist, but you're more of like an executive director and leader, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It, that's really interesting to hear that you are so involved with the technology processes and, um, you know, uh your day to day may not be the same as someone else who's working strictly in informatics. But it's really important that these higher level decisions that kind of affect like the project and affect the operations is uh, is emphasized and kind of like. Uh, thought out like, you know, through systems development life cycle, through your, the process you just talked about. So it's, it's really important and it's really great that you're sharing that. I, I do want to ask you though, like, what is your current role today? It's just for people to kind of like understand what you're doing nowadays.
1: Yeah. So I actually, about a year, a little over a year ago, I decided to, um, to start my own consulting business. Actually, it's twofold. I am actually a consultant now working with people on operations as well as technology implementation wherever the projects might be. But what I'm really passionate to want to do in the next, hopefully the last part of my career is really to work with technology companies um, that share the same value I do to try to help people implement technology. So what as I'm doing my consulting work, what I am hoping to do is also explore Potential opportunities where either I work in a system where I can really help implement technology in the right way or help a company accomplish that with with the clients so they can be most successful. But I think one of my biggest thing is I need to find the right company that shares my passion before I would jump the ship.
0: Yeah, so I mean, that's like a really different. It's actually it's not really different from what you did before. There was more like, I guess, uh, pharmacy focused administrative stuff you had to do before. But this is a little bit more like towards your passion of applying technology to uh the safety of patients. And, um, you know, you have so many different experiences that I think. The next question I'm going to ask you would probably have great advice for is, uh, you know, I get students all the time to ask about how to, you know, how to get into ph- pharmacy informatics or even other pharmacists that are out there not working in informatics now, but they want to kind of go towards that route where they can work closer with technology and use that to uh, improve operations and workflow. So uh, for those individuals who are very interested in this field and from your experience as not It You know, not just an informatics pharmacist, but you're more of like a director of pharmacy, executive director, things like that. What uh, kind of advice would you give them?
1: Well, I think, first of all, now that residencies are more and more prevalent and popular, if you really wanted to get into the fields of pharmacy informatics and technology, then pursuing a PGY-2 residency is highly recommended. I think back when we were starting, everybody was just doing it like learning on the job now that there are some really good training programs. Pursuing that will be one great option for for those who are either a student or a current PGY-1 resident to consider that. For others who might be, have been in the field for a while and really interested in te- getting into the informatics field, I would just say that look for the opportunities. There's plenty of opportunities in any health system and hospitals where someone is, your department is implementing some kind of technology. Volunteer yourself to help with that. And I think there is there are a lot more jobs. And there are people who are trained in the traditional residency-trained ways to occupy these jobs. So if you don't have the luxury of doing a residency, I would say just volunteer yourself. A lot of the things that I got myself into are things that I just somehow volunteered myself in. And then as you start getting some of those real-life experience, then you will have the opportunity to jump onto some of the more formal roles of of technology. But I think one most important thing I do want to impress on your listener is the fact that don't think of pharmacy informatics and technology as just, you know, a job that you're an analyst that you're doing a build or you're maintaining a system. What I really want folks to think about is, how you can offer your, like why as an administrator, when I was hiring people, I wanted to make sure that you bring in, like, why do I have to spend so much money, for example, hiring a pharmacist versus just anybody who knows how to do programming? I mean, what you can offer and what you really need to think about immersing yourself into is how you can help implement technology in a way that will will give you the best benefit of that technology. And this is where we folks in the engineering world will say that you wanted to consider human factor engineering. That's a fancy term that just basically means think about the process. What are your technicians and your pharmacists going to do as you're implementing these programs? So as a pharmacist, if you're interested in this field, I would say the first thing you want to do is to get yourself onto the group that is helping to implement that Whatever technology it is, and and put use your operational and clinical experience to t- to tell people why certain ways of implementing things will work and why it won't work. So I I have been known to torture my residents at times to so literally we were just implementing uh, barcodes technology in preparation and I literally made my resident go talk to the technicians and understand what their current process is and understand what the new process is going to make be and what the changes could be, and from anything, from where the printer needs to be, where the computers needs to be, is important to make a successful implementation. And so, as a pharmacist or a technician who's really interested in technology, I think at the very first step is just get yourself into helping implement it and offer your insights on operations and try to get people to think past just the programming part of the implementation of technology.
0: Awesome. Thank you for sharing that really good advice. And, you know, for people who have, like, additional questions that they probably want to ask you specifically, well, what's the best way that they can reach out to you?
1: Yeah, they can reach out to me via email. My email account is ju 90 at com. So ritajew at gmail dot gmail.com. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this. You probably... Can tell I'm really passionate about people doing the right thing. So I'm happy to talk to anybody who's interested.
0: Awesome, awesome. So I'll be putting your contact info in from the show notes for anyone who's interested in reaching out. But to be respectful of your time, again, I'd like to really thank you again for taking some time out of your busy day to be on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. It's lovely talking to you, Tony.
0: All right, if you like our show, please share with your friends or you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your other favorite podcasting services. You can also check us out on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And you can also reach out to me at Tony at PharmacyITME.com. If you want to network, you can check out the Pharmacist Slack group at PharmacistConnect.com, which is P-H-A-R-M-A-C-I-S-T-S-C-O-N-N-E-C-T.com. There's different topic channels, including informatics, and I've met some great colleagues on there, and I look forward to connecting with you as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you on the next episode of CIT and me, and remember, technology is a tool, patient care is the goal.